Welcome to Birkbeck Voices. I'm Bryony Merritt. Today I'm talking to Dr. Bruna Seu from Birkbeck's Department of Psychosocial Studies and Glenn Tarman, Head of Global Advocacy at Care International, ahead of an event based on Bruna's new book, which she's written with Shani Orgad from the London School of Economics, um, called Caring in Crisis, Humanitarianism, the Public and NGOs, which was published earlier this year by Palgrave Macmillan. Thank you both for talking to me today. Firstly, Bruna, the title of your book has a question mark after caring in crisis. What evidence is there that people don't care about the humanitarian crises facing the world today? Thank you. Um, When we put the question mark there, we didn't mean to question that there is uh, a crisis in terms of people not caring about humanitarian crisis. What we meant to say is that the situation is very complicated and complex. So it's more about a question of being able to offer commensurate and appropriate responses. So it's important to remember that when people get the information about humanitarian crisis, they have a very difficult terrain in front of them to navigate. First of all, they become emotionally upset. Then they need to find out to understand what the humanitarian crisis in question is about. And then they need to find ways to respond that are meaningful to them. So this intrinsically complicated situation is aggravated by the increasing number of crises nowadays, the bombardment of information that very often are very uh, upsetting, um, and also by the experience of members of the public that they feel bombarded by constant demands for donations. So... As you can see, um, in this situation, it's easy for people to say, this is just too much, and then switch off. And what are the factors? You've you've started to uh, go over them there, but what are the factors that affect the way in which people respond to news of humanitarian crises? Okay. Um, The first one is that it is absolutely essential that people shouldn't feel overwhelmed. Um, By definition, as I said, imagery and information about humanitarian crisis are upsetting. Um, But if people feel overwhelmed, then they switch off or they defensively defensively disengage from the issues. So it is essential that information and communication don't provoke these kind of reactions. Now, matters are actually made worse, and this is partly what we talk about in the book, by the perception by members of the public that uh, sometimes they are manipulated, they feel manipulated by NGOs, um, and their emotions are manipulated so they would donate. And it seems clear to me that shock tactics don't work at this level. They might produce some donations immediately, but they're likely to backfire and to produce kind of hardening of attitudes. The second thing is that people need to really understand what they're asked to respond to. And this is, again, is really important because there are so many crises. So why is this famine happening here and in this place? Why are these refugees in these camps? So they need to really make sense of what they've been told to respond to. And this is important in many ways. First of all, because it helps them manage their own emotions and find a way to respond. Also because they feel the NGOs are working with them to give the means to understanding what they're asked to respond to. And very importantly, if they're not given these means, then they're likely then to resort 
to kind of um, stereotypical stories that circulate. For example, people talked about the Africa thing, whereby uh, they understood famine due to the fact that uh, they have too many babies, or the, cor- the governments are corrupt, or they are a bottomless pit, and so on. And we certainly don't want this, because these stories really interfere with people's capacity to empathize and to connect to the issue. In fact, they make them disconnect. Thirdly, it makes a huge difference when people are offered actions or responses that are meaningful to them. So although people understand, they really do get it, that sometimes all that is required is money. Only money will fix or is the response appropriate to that particular crisis. We found that overall people really want to move away from that model. And I found very encouraging that they express curiosity about what the suffering. And also they wanted to understand better the crisis and they wanted to be more connected to the sufferer, for want of a better word, as human beings. So giving money, although of course is a necessary solution to certain uh, situations, is unsatisfactory. And people overall convey the sense that they felt it was dehumanizing both for themselves and for those that received the funding. Um, We are compelled to help. So in a way, it's like pushing at an open door. Um, We just had an example, many examples actually, in the last few months of overwhelming caring response, you know, the latest for the Grenfell Tower tragedy. And in a way, it's we can learn from that because people really were desperate to help, to go there and and to be part of of the tragedy and to be connected to the sufferers because helping others help us as well is very important for us because we identify with the suffering and we want to make it better. Equally, and this is another problem, um, it is hard to put oneself in somebody else's shoes when their lives are so different from ours. And this is really where we need NGOs to sort of bridge that gap. Um, sure, I'm not taking anything away from the power of parochialism and you know turning on to oneself or to an immediate group, but um, which all act as blocks to people's capacity to respond and to care. But I think there is a huge resource there. I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. Fourth, what emerged very clearly is that there is a crisis between NGOs and their publics. Um, NGOs were um, often perceived as operating as big businesses, competing with each other, and that they just wanted people's money. And this is an important block that needs to be dispelled and addressed because NGOs, people need NGOs to work with them. Thank you. Um, Glenn, Care International works to alleviate poverty and injustice around the world. And from your work on the ground, as it were, uh, do you recognise Bruna's assessment of the situation? I think Bruna has put very eloquently the situation we're in. As Britain has got an incredible spirit of generosity over many decades, and certainly since the Second World War period, NGOs have been a prime vehicle for that desire to help uh, to be expressed. NGOs have got the programmes on the ground, we've got the partners and relationships to help make things happen. We work with citizens' movements and social movements, 
but we're also fundamentally there to connect that struggle for rights realised, for development, for uh, moving away from lives lived in poverty to, to, to uh, um, a better situation for those most left behind in the world, connecting that with that public desire to help. Now that help has traditionally been in lots of ways to give. We do need money to fund those programmes. We do need the money to alleviate that need uh, to save lives oftentimes. Um, but equally, we're not only about that. We're about making change happen in lots of different ways and we are fundamentally about recognising that poverty is political. And the reason why there's hungry people in the world is because of a political failure. Um, there is nothing inherent in the way the world is, especially now with our knowledge and, the, and science and uh, NGO programmes and the work of citizens' movements themselves, to say that hunger should be with us. It needs political voices. So we've also been part of building a political movement for change. And you've seen that expressed in the campaigns that NGOs run, and sometimes very big campaigns, bigger than, bigger than others. I was part of putting together the Make Poverty History campaign in 2005, for example. Millions and millions of people involved in that. Not giving, but calling on politicians to act urgently. The crises are proliferating. Climate change is also now with us. So we need action on that, action on the ground to alleviate the effects of climate change, but also political action more broadly. But we operate in the world where it's an attention economy. You know, there is no the news values as such that just getting these crises in front of people is a challenge. Um, the entertainment uh, and media landscape in which we're operating has vastly changed uh, recently, uh, the role of digital and so on. So we also have so many causes. Yeah. So there is a, there's a, a, a multiplicity of causes uh, to break through. Uh, we feel we're there to do that, to help people be part of those who are most left behind, those who are most in need. Um, and the work that Bruna and Shani have done is really important because it comes at this problem in a new way. It shines light on the psychosocial side NGOs are very good at the communications or at the fundraising of involving people, but we do know we want people to have a fuller relationship with the cause and with the organisation, and most importantly, those who we're trying to help in some way. Um, you mentioned uh, the Make Poverty History campaign, which was uh, in 2005, you said, and obviously even since then the transformation of media has been immense with the sort of... Um, rise of social media um, have you noticed a shift in the way people are responding to humanitarian appeals in that time frame and how, how is the sector responding to the way it communicates with its public as a result of these, the changing media landscape well obviously the, the world is now digital not completely but certainly we live in a digital landscape and when we did Made Poverty History for example Facebook was just an idea, it hadn't been uh, executed, and a lot of social media wasn't, wasn't around. We've come through many def- decades of changes. When, when I started involving people uh, in causes, I was touring public halls, you know, pre-internet. Um, the campaigns going back to the anti-slavery days um, were in a different landscape as well. So 
the organisations that are trying to involve people in um, the suffering and lives of distant others have constantly had to evolve, and digital is no different. What's interesting about digital is that it changes expectations. People want uh, an instant ability to be involved. Their expectations are set by huge media organisations who've invested a lot in both reaching you, knowing a lot about you, and selling you things online. And and people are used to a level of um, almost frictionless involvement with the things that they desire, want, and, and, and how they're entertained. So the bar's really raised. We're coming to that anew, um, but that's certainly a different part of the landscape, for example. Thank you. Um, Bruno, could you explain a bit about what the difference is between public support for humanitarian work and public engagement with it, and why it's important to make that differentiation? Okay. Um, first of all, I want to say that um, there are many, many ways of supporting humanitarian causes. So um, I'm in no way saying that uh, donations, for example, are not important. In fact, in many cases, uh, donation money is the only thing that really is necessary at that point. The question is how, if you like, humanitarian issues sit within people's ordinary moral sphere. And that's where longer-term engagement comes into play and becomes important. So um, donations are important, but if the main aim of communicating or engaging with the public is to provoke a donation, what we found is that sometimes people donate, but they don't actually engage with the issue. In fact, they donate in order not to engage so to disengage with a clear conscience. So some people said, well, they're asking me for money, I've given the money, I can forget about it. And whilst to some extent this enables, as Glenn was saying, NGOs to be on the ground, to operate with local partners and so on and so forth and save lives, at the same time, this transactional model is actually damaging, I think. Because one of the things that it does is prevents the kind of integration in the everyday morality, if you like, or holding these as part of our um, political and moral connectedness to others. And um, this is very detrimental to the longer-term engagement, which ultimately is what we need, I think. Both NGOs to turn one-off donors into long-term supporters because they need to plan and they need to survive, yeah, and to continue doing what they're doing so well. Um, but also in terms of how people understand and engage with humanitarian issues at large, as I said, without falling into this old, but also very problematic as and them models, yeah? So there are alternative models, uh, the ambassador model, for, that, for example, or um, local fundraising, um, microfinancing. There are other ways. And what we wanted to say is that people are really hungry for these different models, and NGOs can play a very important role in offering those and working with people. Great. And Glenn, do you have um, any specific examples of innovative ways that your organisation and others in your sector are are finding to engage supporters and donors in this more long-term, meaningful way? 
Well, I think certainly in the campaigning sphere, UK development NGOs have been leading the way in involving people in all manner of campaigns, um, right up to climate change. And I think a few years ago, that was seen as an environmental issue and people can get involved in it as a development issue, one of solidarity rather than um, saving the polar bears and the planet. Um, So I think it's important to recognise that we are part of the political landscape and our offer is very much of getting involved in that political change as deeply as you want to be. Oftentimes it's quite difficult to match that with the need for funds, particularly around times of appeal, and to get the journey of a supporter um, to be one that meets their needs. Everybody is different. Some people do just want to give. Others are looking for more. um, And it requires a different level of investment actually to do that. It's, we've become very um, very good, even in a saturated market that the UK is, to raise an extraordinary amount of funds. And if you look at something like Comet Relief as well, we're the best in the world at it. Um, and we've got models with the Disaster Emergency Committee here that other nations are looking to, to model because it's a way of provoking an outscale reaction to need, a need that can be alleviated you know, without, within hours, um, certainly days. That's extraordinary. So there is the political landscape. There's also new ways um, to be involved. It doesn't have to be the traditional gift. So, for example, at CARE, we have something called Lend with CARE. And you can give a loan to uh, a small business person, um, mostly women, who just need a little bit of funds to make a couple of investments in how to grow their business, whether it's um, some transport or some equipment, Whatever it might be, something that they need to improve their livelihood, it's not a donation. The money will flow back to you and you will become familiar with the story of that person and have a, a relationship at that one-to-one level. And that's just one example of some of the changes that are happening in the landscape. Um, it's not always about innovation, though. It's not always about um, new um, ways that uh, technology is facilitating a way through. You know, we won't see kind of mass virtual reality headsets happening just now, although there are more and more immersive experiences. So people are finding ways to experience, albeit remotely, um, the actuality in a way that traditional media isn't always uh, the best at. So there is a lot of experimentation, but there's a lot of new ways of coming at this in terms of much better storytelling about what's going on. Not Um, technical information um, but really telling stories far more powerfully and enabling people to associate with what's happening in a whole new different way Um, you don't have to do things new and innovatively all the time to get this right but there is a new effort now to look at what best practice is and to have uh, a better offer Um, but everybody's different out there and one of the challenges of of carrying in crisis is really making sure that we recognise people as individuals with different um, biographies that make them react in different ways. Um, We're not just cold marketeers segmenting people by their profiles, although we have to do that. Um, But we're coming coming into an age now where maybe we can uh, offer a choice in a menu for people's involvement, which is something that they can tailor. Certainly Oxfam and others are really trying to have... uh, what we call a single supporter view. We know who you are and we're trying to help you find the expression of 
of your desire to be involved through giving you uh, different things to do. Thank you. Um, and finally, a question for both of you. Um, it's clear from the engagement with and response to Bruna's book that this is a challenge that the humanitarian sector are keen to embrace. Um, where do you see the biggest opportunities for the sector in the next few years and how will this ultimately impact on their ability to alleviate suffering of those they work with? Well, very similarly to what Glenn was just saying about not necessarily having to reinvent the wheel and, and to go for innovation, I found that the most encouraging um, finding that came out of this research was that we have a very uh, strong and important resource in people's everyday capacity uh, for care and how they practice it in their everyday life, in their community and with each other. Um, what I thought was very interesting is that when, uh, when I was leading the focus groups and asked people to think about humanitarian issues and to tell me how they thought about it, I found that they were actually applying the same models they use in their local community to distant others, to distant sufferers. So very basic principles like if you have an allotment and you produce four lettuces, you only need three, you give the fourth away. And some of these principles totally resonate with the way NGOs work and the kind of message they put out there. For example, don't give a money fish, but make them able to fish and support themselves. So although there, I couldn't say, I wish I could say, the people, um, everybody wants to move away from the model of the generous uh, person from the global north and the grateful receiver in the global south, um, there is a huge amount of curiosity and really a wish for a relational engagement with these kind of situations. I think this is incredibly optimistic and it is really a resource that can be tapped into and that NGOs, as Glenn was saying, for example, Lend We Care, that can you know, convey that and uh, enable that. Um, yet, there is a crisis and that's where we go back to the title of the book and, and there is a crisis between NGOs and their publics and I think that needs to be addressed in order to tap into these existing resources and willingness really from people. Thank you. Glenn? Well I think the one thing that the, the study that's uh, off the back of the book um, is just so encouraging around is that there's really strong evidence that there are more people that care that are presently involved. So, and we're becoming more and more confident about those insights and the ways to reach those people to be involved. If the evidence was showing that we've reached all the people that are going to be involved, and I think sometimes there's an assumption that it's just, you know, one in three of the population have got a global view and they want to be involved. I don't believe that that's the case and I don't believe that that's what the evidence is telling us. We've also got a backdrop whereby, you know, Britain is changing again. We're leaving the EU, the Queen, only today in her speech um, setting out this government's uh, agenda, spoke to a global Britain. Now, that vision will be contested, but NGOs will be at the forefront of saying this is what um, a Europe uh, 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 looks like with Britain alongside it as partners in, in a global world where we're all connected and 
also the NGOs will in Britain say we want to stay true to um, a real vision of a positive contribution of this country in the world. Now that includes citizens, it includes our business, it includes our social organisations, it includes our universities and our, our academia. It certainly includes our politicians stepping up to the plate. We don't want a smaller Britain. We want more people involved in the so-called global problems and making sure that they can take action through their voice, through their knowledge, through their giving as well, um, but through their more direct involvement with citizens around the world in the movements for change. And it's not just one of a global north, global south anymore, and rich and poor. We've seen, even within the city of London, with, with Grenfell as well, this is about empathy uh, and alliances and solidarity across all the lines uh, of division in society. Um, and so NGOs have a fantastic opportunity and are, I believe, quite capable of helping people be involved uh, in a deeper way so that that movement is wider, deeper and longer and more impactful around the world. We've got global goals now. Everybody's uh, agreed a kind of common agenda. So we can, we can be part of, of that effort in a whole new way. But it will be immensely challenging. The pressure will be there for us to only think about what's happening in this country. And there will also be needs to get that right as well. Um, the political logjam is amongst us as well, uh, legislatively and with our parliamentarians and so on. But we can't just let it be about what happens in this country. We must also make it be about the action that happens here for what kind of world we'll be living in and what, that we'll leave our children. Thank you. Uh, thank you both for talking to us today. That's all for this episode of Birkbeck Voices. See you next time.